still morning. Good morning, everyone. For all you cricket lovers who have gone, gone the cricket this morning, the Lord bless you and keep you, and may we win anyway. <laughs> Trouble is, I've got friends in New Zealand who are good Christian people, and they're praying the other prayer. It's an honor and privilege, I've said from this pulpit before, never neglect or forget the incredible privilege that you have as a, a living community of being a priesthood of all believers, and it's a joy to feel that sense of sharedness together. You've got a prayer meeting tomorrow night. Yes, everybody seen that on the, your paper? I, I just read it before this service started. I didn't read it in the early one. It took me back to a day when I was in Beijing with um, CSW, Merv Thomas, and actually Jonathan Aitken was with us on that trip, the so-called disgraced MP. And we were staying in the city hotel and then one, one evening they said, right, we're off. And uh, we had no idea where we were going. And in a car we parked somewhere, I have no idea. We walked around this street, that street, round a corner, round a corner, this, that, deliberately to confuse people. And then we went in a building I can't describe, we went round and round and round in this building, and then suddenly a, a pair of curtains opened, and there was a room full of young, mostly young, dynamic Chinese Christians waiting to hear the Word of God. So what you're going to have a little practice of tomorrow, I've literally done uh, in a room full of incredibly excited people who knew the cost of discipleship. So we, we lift them up to the Lord. And there are many in many parts of the world who it costs them a great deal to, uh, to be men and women of faith. To the scriptures. We're going to read some verses from Psalm 105, which when I was a teenage boy, God spoke to me about. And uh, I'll come back to why these sorts of things are important and try and illustrate them as, as an illustration. And then we're going to briefly talk about the story that we're reading. It's from Psalm 105. I'm reading from the New Living Bible because it's a nice convenient Bible that I was working in yesterday. Verse 15, do not touch these people I have chosen and do not hurt my prophets. He called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. There in prison, they bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his word, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household, and he became ruler over all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he pleased and teach the king's advisors. We'll come back to the story of Joseph, as I've said, in, in a little while. A friend of mine is a, a Christian leader, and like me, a grandfather. <clears throat> and he told me a story a little while ago, which I was reminded about uh, last weekend. He went to pick his grandsons up from school. Uh, the oldest one was five at the time. and. Uh, the usual thing, what sort of day have you had? And you talk about nonsense and this and that and something else. And then there's a bit of quiet as they're going along in the car. And then the oldest one said to his, his papa, would you really like to know what happened in school today? Of course I would. Absolutely. Tell me all about it. He said, well, 
I re really think I, I took my next step today. Um, he said that we had some time in our class and I was talking to two of my friends and I asked them, did they know Jesus? And they said they didn't. And, and I asked them, would they like to know him? And they said they did. So he said, um, we decided to pray in the class. And uh, he said, I do what you do when you make appeals in the church and people respond to the gospel. And then you pray over them. He said, I laid my hands on them and I prayed that Jesus would come into their lives. And he said, that's fantastic. This boy's five. Then he said, uh, I've been praying about that, Papa. And I feel that was my next step. And, and I've, I've really got across the line to share my faith and, with my friends. And then it went quiet again and they're driving home. Then he turned to his Papa and said, Papa, what's your next step? Just keep that in the back of your mind as we talk. Not Papa, but whatever your name is for me, David. 66 years a Christian, what's my next step? What's your next step? One of the ways God wants to guide our lives and help us make the right steps is by giving us key scriptures. So this scripture we've read, God spoke to me about, as I say to you, when I was a teenage boy, and its truth has never left me. It wasn't just a verse to read that was bread for the day and gave me faith and encouragement in the moment that I read it. It has come back and come back and come back and come back a multitude of times in my life. And I found myself in many situations and I go, God, you told me that when I was a boy. And here I am. It happened to me in the Houses of Parliament when I was teaching a group of people in the, the Undercroft chap Chapel there. And I thought, dear God, this is what you said. God wants to give us those words because the word is part of God's support for us becoming the people we were born to be. So for the many in the room who over the years you can consciously and honestly say God has spoken to you in a way that doesn't go away. It's a, it's a living, ongoing, God-breathed word. We would call it a life word. There may be others in the room when I start talking, I go, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I've, I've never had anything like, like that happen to me. So a couple of stories and then we'll stop in the early part of this talk and, and we'll take a moment in prayer. If you're one of those that says, it's, it's not me, I've never had that happen to me. It reminds me of talking many, many years ago now and uh, a young lady who graduated from university had come to know the Lord she was full of desire to serve the Lord, but she had very little experience in the scriptures. And she said, when I was talking about this one day, she actually asked in a meeting, she said, that's never happened to me. I've never heard a word from God. Well, what's, what, am, what am I supposed to look for? And we tried to help each other. So if that's you, we need to stop and agree together one or two things. The first is that God is a speaking God. Everybody know that's true? First page of the Bible says God speaks. It's the first thing we learn about him. Everything exists in this world because God spoke. Regardless of what anybody else says, when the scientists said we've worked it out now, we know, we know, how, we know how we can recreate life. God said, okay, get on, give it a go. And they went for the dust. He said, no, get your own dust.
God spoke. God speaks. God wants to guide our lives. And sometimes in quite remarkable ways and sometimes just in the warp and woof of life, he just keeps telling us to keep taking the next step in the straight direction. So we need to recognize and understand that God speaks and wants us to understand what he's saying. So our job then is to listen. If you've never heard a word from God, you need to listen. And one of the ways to listen is to systematically read the Bible. Preferably every day. Stop and say, God, I'm going to read this. Now, usually in November, I read through the Bible, and usually in November, I'm reading Ezekiel. And on, on a cold morning, some of the chapters of Ezekiel are not the most inspiring part, inspiring part of the Bible. It's, it's all God's Word, but I'm going to read it anyway. I've not long finished uh, Leviticus. That, that wasn't overly exciting either, the 621 laws. But I'm going to read it anyway. You say, why? Because in any part of it, God can speak to me. And has done multitudes of times. Just to give me bread, faith, and food for the day. Maybe sometimes to give me a, a word for a season. For me or my family or the life of the church or whatever. And now and again, a life word like the one I've read to you. Which just keeps living and living and living. So have that expectation as you listen and discipline yourself to read the Bible and listen for the prophetic words that come that will affirm what God is saying. And then if he speaks to you and it continues to live with energy in you, it is God-breathed in a unique way, you'll have heard a life word. Let me tell you a different story for those of you who, like me, have heard the voice of God over a lot of years. I was in Ethiopia with a lovely man of God who I came to appreciate, had been there several times. And he was leading a large Pentecostal denomination, and he said to me one day, a few of us actually as leaders who were there supporting him in a big conference, they had all the Protestant denominations together. Uh, it was a fascinating time. And he said quietly, he said, I believe God is telling me I've got to stop leading this denomination, and I've got to go back to what he said to me when I was a young Christian. I said, wow, we need to think about that then, don't we? He was doing a significant work. Time went on. We went once or twice, and I remember he was, took me to the airport. And uh, we stopped in a little, you wouldn't call it a coffee shop, but, but uh, you know, a little place where you don't take ice or anything like that. Um, and I said to him, what does it look like? What's the Lord saying to you? He said, well, the Lord promised me that when I was younger that he was going to use me to win many Muslims for Christ. And I've been involved in a Christian denomination. He was what was called the general secretary of that group. Thousands and thousands of people. They'd been through persecution. He'd lived his life to please the Lord. But he said, God's told me this isn't it. This isn't my full life's work. I've got to go back to what he said to me when I was young, how he would use me doing many Muslim people. I said, we've got to pray about that then, haven't we? And in the course of time, it took a bit of time, he was supernaturally guided by God. He stepped back from his ministry, took a little bit of time for the other ministry to unfold. He's, he's done a number of things, some of which I wouldn't say on a microphone. And uh, he ended up being supernaturally guided at one time to, a, to an imam who'd come to know Jesus in a remarkable way. And about 35,000 Muslims have confessed Jesus and been baptized. So even in the journey of life, while you're doing the will of God, 
God can have something that he said to you a long time ago that you need to keep hold of and you need to revisit. I sat here after the first service with one of the brothers in the first meeting who said, God spoke to me 30 years ago in another country. And as soon as he started talking, I started to weep because it has power. It has the same power in it that made the world. It's God's word, living, quick and powerful. And for those of us who've heard the voice of God in years gone by, we must not neglect those life-changing, life-directing words. So I'm going to suggest, as we pray for a moment now, those of us who've got that experience of knowing, and you could turn to a verse in the Bible in an instant, like I can turn to that one and a few others, that you either turn to it right away or you promise yourself in this few moments of prayer that you're going to go back to those things God has said to you a long time ago, probably some of them in the very early days of you coming to faith in Christ. It may be 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but it's worth going there again because they will have life in them and direction for you, particularly if you feel you've got yourself a bit side on and you're not quite where you ought to be. So let's pray. Those of you who know this is true and have believing faith, lift your heart with me for those in the room among us who haven't heard from God in the way we're talking about. Lord, we bring our friends to you. We thank you that you're a speaking God and you want to speak to every one of us with life-changing words. We pray you'll give us a release of faith that you not only speak, but as we discipline ourselves to read and listen to you, that you in the next little while will come to every one of those who at this moment has not had that sort of life-changing word, you will come and speak to them. And we agree this in the name of Jesus. And for those of us who over years have heard you speak, we pray that we won't be careless with these words of direction that you've given us. And for some of us, the need to go right back to the very first ones to find that recalibration, that ability to let them speak to us again to guide our path into the fullness of your purposes, whatever we should be doing that will bring glory to your name. All the people said. So the wider picture of what we're talking about, of a word coming to us that has life consequences. The wider picture is to understand that God has a plan and a purpose for all of our lives. Phil read some verses from the end of Ephesians. Let me read the beginning of that same chapter, just a verse or two from verse 3 to 5 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. So God is working to a plan in your life. That's why he brought you to Christ. If we read verses 8 to 10 in the next chapter, and this is all we'll read, 
God saved you by His special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is the gift, a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece, poem, workmanship, other translations say. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is a powerful truth that will help us live in a more peaceful, less frantic way as we seek to do God's will in our lives. I have never written this in notes in many years. I don't think I've talked about it publicly in many years, in any setting. I felt inspired to write down last night, some of us, particularly those from a more Calvinistic sovereignty basis of faith, and I'm not making any observations about that, get ourselves, and it used to be part of the language years ago when I was growing up, Oh, we've got to try and find the perfect will of God. Not the permissive will of God. And I'm going, ooh. I'm not sure about that. I like the idea, you know, we do the thing that God wants us to do and not something that's second best, which is the other way of saying it. But then, then I think, but, and I don't know whether somebody had a word in this service. There was a word in the first service about God doing all things new. One of the prophetic words. God wants to do things new. So the fact is, most of us who are honest have failed. And those of us who are not honest have failed. Because we've all fallen short. That's the Bible, is that right? And actually, no matter how long you're a Christian, we still fall short. I keep wanting to say to you, I don't know why, you're a huge young man. You spoke with a beautiful, gentle, soft voice. But don't anybody be fooled that there's a lion living inside him. There's a bold, bold man that with that gentle exterior needs to rise up and take hold of what God has taken hold of you for. Anyway, that's just in passing. This permissive, perfect will of God stuff. So talking to somebody else at the end of the first service. I feel God spoke to me a long time ago, but I'm not sure whether it's, I'm where I ought to be. This is a lie from the devil. If it condemns you, because the Bible says, therefore, now no condemnation. We've all messed. We've all made mistakes. None of us have found the perfect will of God going forward. We all need redemption. We all need the power of restoration. We all need the ongoing work of God to bring us to that ability to live in his will with peace and quietness even in our flaws and failures. I was listening to a dear friend of mine and I've known a long time actually, Dr. John Andrews. He was teaching three weeks in the Little Academy that we've been in running in the NG network. He did three weeks in the Gospel of Luke. How does Jesus, uh, Luke, interpret the life of Jesus in his book uniquely from the other Gospels? And it was very profound. He talked about his view of Jesus as a Messiah. And the main thrust of his teaching was that Jesus came to bring a message to bring people from the margins to the center. And those who thought they were at the center, like the religious people and the Pharisees, he moved them to the margins. So all the meals he had, he had meals with sinners and he had meals with Pharisees and religious people. The Pharisees were trying to save him and he was trying to save them. It was all fascinating. 
But what was he doing? What did he do when he said to Simon with the woman who didn't have an illustrious past? He turned to the woman and spoke to Simon. You didn't do this, she did. You didn't do this, she did. You didn't do, she did. What was he doing? He was saying to this woman who would have been allowed into that home, not because she was an invited guest, but because she was one of the marginalized, and there were four or five categories of them. Can't preach that sermon. She would be allowed to come and sit on the edge, not where the table where the guests were, and listen to the conversation in the hope that the, the man who called the feast would be generous with the food at the end and let these poor people take it away. She was a marginalized outsider. And somehow in the story, she crept up to Jesus on his side of the, the probably horseshoe table and did what the man at the center should have done. And Jesus brought her right in from the margins to the center. That's the gospel, isn't it? So whether you've missed it big time and you're here thinking... I don't know how God can use me. I've made a right mess of my life. He brings people from the margins to the center of his purpose. So whether you're in the perfect or the permissive or the whatever will of God, I've got news for you. You've still got an opportunity to succeed and do the will of God. It means that we can be active and not passive in our lives. We can do our best, use our gifts to the best of our ability, but still rest in his promise that he will guide our lives. And a verse that's led me for many, many years, and there are others like it in the scriptures. If we acknowledge him in all our ways, what does he promise to do? Direct our paths. So that means I don't have to, day after day, go, oh, God, shilly, shally, willy, wally. What do I do today? What do I do today? You do what you're supposed to do today. If you're supposed to turn up at work at 8 o'clock, you're there, you're there at least by 5 to, not 5 past. That's what he told you to do. Be good at serving. You say, I don't want to go to work. I don't like the idea. Well, get another job then. Or, or do something else. Do, but if that's what you're supposed to do, that's the will of God for you to do it. If you're married, you love your, you love your spouse. If you've got children, you love your children and, and you grow them. What, what, whatever is the circle of your life and your influence, just keep walking straight every moment of the day. There are few crossroads of decision in life of importance. There are thousands of moments of obedience. You just keep doing what he told you to do. And if he wants you to change direction, he'll give you a very clear sign. Yes? Which means... We don't have to be going, oh, God, oh, God. Oh, 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 oh. Some of us are wasting hours of our prayers, hours of our energy, worrying and anxious. Just keep doing what he's, the last thing he told you to do. And if the instructions are going to change, he'll tell you. And you say, but it's tough at the moment. <clears throat> That's probably a good sign that something good's happening. Because that's why he sent a slave ahead of them. It was tough for him, as we'll see in a moment. I was sitting with a business friend, lovely guy, South African, came to know the Lord in unique circumstances in South Africa when he was a young man, came to live here quite a number of years ago and supernaturally has been catapulted beyond his years and he would say his gifts into a, 
a fantastic job. He paid a lot of money. He does the sort of job that people who are 10 or 15 years older than him normally get. And he said, I'm very aware I'm here by the, the plan of God. But he's a passionate disciple. And he's joined himself to a church near where his work is. He's been there two or three years now. And he said, I just want God's work to succeed here. I want, I want to be the person God wants me to be. And recently he's been headhunted. He didn't ask for it. Somebody's come looking for him. He's been through some interviews. He's got right through all that. He's now down to the last two. Now, some people, if they don't understand what we're talking about, they're going, I'm going to go to church today for a word. What, what do you need to go to church for a word? You do, but not for that. You're just doing what he told you to do. He's been faithful in his life. He said to me on Wednesday, well, I'm going to go for one more interview, and if the job, God wants me to have it, it'll be mine. If he doesn't want me to have it, he won't. I won't feel bad about it. I said to him, is there anything you think you still need to learn in the place where you're already employed? Is God trying to teach you anything that you're still grappling with? Because let's get that sorted out, because you've got to deal with that, although we're not moving on successfully. Like lots of people say to me, I'm leaving this job, I've got a horrible boss. Just be careful. Because if you don't learn from your horrible boss what God's trying to teach you, like the story in the Bible we're going to talk about in a moment, you'll get a worse boss when you move and serve you right. You say, that's brutal, David. No, no, no. God, God's in charge of this stuff. Stop taking the steering wheel again. Let him be in charge. And then you can live in peace and quietness with the shalom of God in our hearts. Yes, he said to me, the businessman, I'm not, I'm not the man I was, but I'm still becoming the man I was born to be. That's Wednesday. There's been some hard times, many lessons, things I've needed to learn, I haven't wanted to learn, but I'm a better disciple of Jesus for the journey that I've taken whilst I'm blessed. And that should be the story we're all able to tell. The journey will include for all of us some pain, definitely some limitations, some questions that we can't answer. There's plenty in this story until you look back. Will involve change because we've got to change to become the people he wants us to be. All this before we get the till of the story. Until he heard and his character had been tested and the then of Pharaoh setting him free. So the Bible text that we read, Psalm 105, Verse 15 speaks about God's protection. Do not touch these people I've chosen and do not harm them. God has got our lives under his control. I'm not going to take a long time over this. Verse 16 is a tough verse. God sent a famine to his own people. That doesn't fit with prosperity teaching, does it? But it's biblical. Now, God doesn't want us to live there all the time, but sometimes... Bad things happen to good people. He called a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. What was his answer to this God-made famine? God's answer was to send a man, the next verse says. So he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now, if you stood back and watched this story in the daily recorder of the Cairo Times or whatever it is, 
A young man has arrived from Canaan in an Ishmaelite caravan, sold as a slave. And he claims to be a man sent by God. That wouldn't have gone down very good, would it? Nobody much would have believed that. Like nobody much would believe if a young Arab from the Gaza Strip went to the United States of America, got a finance degree, and ended up running the, run the, the, the Federal Bureau in, in the United States, just boom, out of the blue, you go from Gaza. That isn't going to happen. It's the same sort of story. This was the greatest power in the world at that time. The way God answers things isn't always visible to us at first, even how he uses us. Verse 18, this sent man was bruised and limited, it says. There in prison they bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. That's called serious limitation, isn't it? Verse 19, in the other translations say, till his word came, till he'd been tested. Verse 20 says, then the king, the pharaoh, God will use whoever he chooses to use for your then. We're released and set free to the purpose that God has called us. Verse 21, he's made a ruler. And verse 22, he's instructing and teaching the wise leaders of the nation of Egypt. What are the lessons we can learn from this story? And you can think and meditate about it a lot more. Here's a few. Losing his coat of many colors in the earlier part of this story, which was his father's favor and his uniqueness, was as the favored son. He had to lose that coat in brutal circumstances, one must admit, to find his true identity. And it's just the same for us. God isn't trying to take anything from you. He's only removing things in order to give you something better. That's a principle of how he works. God is only interested in our good. He was hated by his brothers. There'll be people in the room who've had experiences of this in their family in all manner of circumstances. But in the midst of that hatred and jealousy that the Bible speaks so graphically about, he found acceptance because God was with him. And even in Potiphar's house, he was accepted for a season of time. We've talked about him being sold as a slave, meant a man sent by God. Even in our times of limitation, we still need to believe the sentness of God in his call and purpose on our lives. He learned that by serving others and developing his gifts, he came to a place of promotion. It's no good being a charismatic, tongue-speaking, Yakarabandai person who is careless and indifferent in how you spend your time or develop your gifts and then expect God to give you supernatural promotion. It don't come like that. It comes when we learn to serve other people and use all the gifts we've got in the best possible way we can. Yes? Then that brings promotion. It's very quiet in here this morning. I don't know whether that's because you're bored or ready for the cricket or because some of this is penetrating. I'll leave it with you. The next one is they had to learn 
that leaving his coat in Potiphar's house meant keeping his integrity. The next one is, he had to learn that though the prison looked like a dead end, I don't know whether any of you have traveled enough to see any of the prisons of Asia or Africa, I have. I can't imagine what a hellhole that prison must have been like. He'd had this promise when he was 17. He's now in his late 20s, approaching 30. The clock has ticked. And he gets slammed into this prison most unrighteously. He could be fulminating, couldn't he? This is, this is wrong. Well, it was. Maybe something's happened to you. It's wrong. I've been blamed for something at work. Blah, blah, blah. What's God got to teach me in this? Because your plan's going to work out, Lord. The prison looked like a dead end, but it turned out to be the door to the fulfillment of his dream. So maybe that moment of limitation and horribleness for you will eventually turn out not to be like Aladdin's lamp, but a supernatural door opener. And in all the time, the Bible says again and again, all the time, and God was with him. And God was with him in the rubbish, in the unanswered questions, in the limitation, in the pain, in the hatred, in the pit, in the prison. You remember my little story at the beginning? Papa, what's your next step? In the light of this sort of simple Bible teaching, what's my next step? What's your next step? What is the Spirit prompting you that for you to become the person He wants you to be? You need to attend to this. Let me make these few suggestions as I finish. He had to lose something in order to gain something better. Does that apply to anybody here? Is anybody resonating the voice of the Spirit saying, I have to just let that go. Because as you let that go, I can give you something better. Could be anything. Could be bitterness, malice, could be unforgiveness, could be a false dream of what you're supposed to be because God's got a better one than, than the one you're working on. Got to be prepared to lose it, to gain something better. He had to learn that limitation had a time limit, but as he trusted God, it led to freedom and fulfillment. So maybe for you in that time of constriction, whatever it is, it could be economic, it could be relational, it could be any number of things. This stuff doesn't just happen once in your life. I've been a Christian leader for over 50 years and I've known times when economically things tighten up. Opportunities for Christian service, even though I've preached all over the world, tighten up and you go, what's this all about, Lord? You're closing things down at the moment. It's in your hands. I'll trust you. He learned that keeping his integrity was more important than self-gratification and an easy life. And let me say, and I'm an old guy, 
So I'm not trying to pontificate to a millennial generation that's lived, up, lived in a world <coughs> of moral, moral relativism, which isn't helpful for you all, but it's the world you've been brought into. Let me say to you, this story is about sexual gratification at this point. I know in pulpits they can bang on about this more than we should, but this story is about that. And let me say this. Keeping your integrity, even in that area of your life, is more important than self-gratification and an easy life. Is that your next step? Oh, I'm going to marry him, so it's all right if we sleep together. Not according to the Bible, it isn't. The next one. He could see that God had all the answers to the questions, but only afterwards. Life has to be lived forward, but it's understood looking backwards. But we need to recognize that in all our questions, we don't have to preoccupy with them. We trust him who's got the answers to them. Because when we look at how he's worked it out, it all works as it should. This one God said to me lots of years ago, and it never leaves me. And it still challenges me as an old man. He had to become and continue to become on the inside the man of character that he developed, the man of God, the sent man he was. He had to become on the inside what his dream demanded. And that's true for you. And he knew that he was sent so he could wait for the till the time of testing, read Psalm 66. We go through testings. Wait for that. Wait for the then, when Pharaoh sets him free, when things change for you. And the even greater then. Oh, this verse just blows me away. I've read it hundreds of times. When in Genesis 45, when all this bad stuff's finished with, and he's now the ruler in in the country, second in command to the Pharaoh, he's living the life of Riley. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. I think that's the understatement of the morning. They were freaked out. They thought they were going to lose their heads any minute now. And they deserve to. They were stunned, realizing that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Come over here, he says. It's getting worse. He's bringing them right close to him. And he said, probably in a soft voice. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph. Look at me, it's me. I'm a bit older, there's a few wrinkles. Your brother who you sold into Egypt, he wasn't letting them off. But don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me for God did it. You go, what? This sort of rubbish, hard stuff, it's God. It's God getting you to where he wants you to be in the prepared state so that he can use you there for what he always intended you to do. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your miserable lives. No, it doesn't say miserable, just lives. So he knew he was sent so he could wait for the till and the then and the then God sent me ahead of you. And the final next step 
God was with him. Is the presence of God important to you? Are there moments when you know you do things and you feel the presence of God just moving away from you? Stop doing them then. Do you cultivate the presence of God? I was listening to the Radio 4, 4 service on the way in this morning, and at a certain point they said something about the Holy. They read Joel too, so I started speaking in tongues going along in the car. Why wouldn't I? We've got to energize the presence of God within us. An ex-Methodist minister who left the first service quoted to me from John West, uh, Charles Wesley. I said, I'd love, I'd love to have that. Send that to me on email. Anyway, just before he left, after his coffee, he wrote it down. Some of you know him. This is John Wesley, Charles Wesley, forgive me, saying what I've been trying to blubber on about for about 40 minutes or however long it has been. I passed my time. This summarizes it all. By thine unerring spirit led, we shall not in the desert stray. We shall not full direction need or miss out our, prov our, pro miss our providential way. There's two hours there, anyway. As far from danger as from fear, while love, almighty love, is near. So in the name of Jesus, what's your next step? Amen. We're over. We're over quickly. Lord, help every one of us, including the preacher, to hear the dropping of your word. And may by next Sunday, all of us applied it in some way that we're all closer to you, more like you, and more able to serve you. Bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, David. If, uh, you